I ain't been perfect. I'm still an imperfect man, but I serve a perfect Savior. I'm thankful he reached down that hand one day further than I could ever reach up. And I sure didn't deserve it, but I sure am thankful for his love, his mercy, and his grace. And I'm glad I can remember that day. A lot of days I can't remember. Boy, there's some special days in my life, but there nothing takes place that right there. The day getting birthed into the family of God. And I hope you know that. If you don't, a lot of folks say, well, man, I just don't know, man. I've met people who a man just can't know. Oh, yeah, you can. You get something big as God moving on the inside of you, man. He's going to poke out every once in a while. And uh, so I do appreciate the goodness of the Lord. Appreciate the good singing uh, tonight. Appreciate Brother Evan filling in for Dad. I want you to take your Bibles with me tonight to the book of Amos in the Old Testament. It might take you a few minutes to find that. That's one of those small books uh, in the Old Testament back toward the end where we're going to be looking and while you're turning, I'll just share just a few things. I know as uh, uh, far as prayer requests, we've still got many that are very, very sick. And I know Sister Linda, again, Linda Webb, want to remember her. Notice, uh, she's not here tonight. And I do remember Brother Randy and remember Sister Phyllis. I know both of them, they're here, but uh, still under the weather. Remember Dad? Dad, is um, he feels good, but he's just real, real weak. Can't get a whole lot of strength back, so please continue to pray for him. I do remember Brother Ed Haynes. He's got a procedure tomorrow to get him back in rhythm with his heart. And I said, please do pray. God touch him. Remember Linda Gold, and also I know she's sick. Remember Brother Jack um, as well. Remember Frida, um, still there at home, still recovering from surgery. And of course, Brother Mac, just remember them. And uh, many, many that, uh, that, have, that have been sent. Remember Robin Collins, continue to pray for her, uh, that God would touch and help. Just a lot of sickness uh, still right now COVID, flu, RSV, all kinds of stomach bugs. <laughs> and uh, man, it's just unbelievable. Uh, with all the sickness that is around, and uh, I know several still recovering uh, from surgeries, and then of course we got many within our not necessarily in our church family, but uh, we got a lot of folks that are that are still hurt and breed uh, with a loved one. So I still my heart still hurts for the Brown family. So I do remember to continue to pray for them, uh, and also the Starlin family here. Uh, Raised a member, brother David Maynard's family, member sister. Uh, Burita um, and and the boys do remember them during these days difficult time again I can't imagine uh, man what a joy that was and I don't know if a man gets to play a trumpet up there but if anybody gets to play a trumpet brother Maynard's playing one and I think about that archangel and uh, of course the sound of the archangel with the trump of God yeah they, I believe that archangel that's a military term that arc is and I, there's only one archangel that is mentioned in the Bible, and his name is Michael. He's always standing up for God's people in the book of Daniel, chapter number 12. And also in the book of uh, Jude, he's contending with the devil over the body of Moses. And uh, he seems to be the military angel. But I, I think about Brother Maynard. Every time he'd come in here, a choir could sing, and he'd get to play in that trumpet. But I love Brother Maynard. Boy, a tremendous servant, and going to be greatly missed. And I've missed him. He went off the radio I don't know, maybe about a little over a year ago, and just a tremendous servant. Preached for me several revivals in Wilkesboro. Not sure that he preached a revival here, but he's preached several times since I've been here. And I love Brother Maynard. I love Sister Breed, a tremendous uh, talent on the piano. And, uh, but again, do remember those families. Got a lot of folks just hurting tonight, a lot of different things. And again, we, we've got a big, big prayer list back there at the back. Remember Cindy, I know she deserves our prayers. Remember uh, Billy Joe as well, uh, her dad. And just so many that I, I know I failed to leave a lot of folks out. I don't intend to. But tonight, Amos chapter number 7 is where we're going to look. I, I've been chewing on this for quite some time. And there's only nine chapters in the book of Amos. And not many messages that I've preached um, out of the book of Amos through the years. I've preached a couple that I know for sure. And the little things that get you, of course, when that fellow went and he run from the bar and he run from the line. Then he leaned his hand on the wall and a serpent bit him. 
He run away from the big things, but the little things what ended up getting him. Boy, there's a good good message in that about sin. Uh, it ain't necessarily the big thing. It might be that gospel tongue. It might be uh, just there's a lot of different things that we could say. A lot of folks say, well, that ain't a big shit. That's not drunkenness. That's not adultery. Yet it's still sin. And those little sins will get you, just like that snake did, that serpent did. It bit that boy that got away from the lion and the bear. He got away from the big things, but the little things got him. But there's a lot to be said uh, in the book of Amos. I remember when I was in Bible college, they sent me through. I had, two, I had two research papers to do. One was on the book of Amos, and one was on the book of Obadiah. Both of them had to be 100 pages. Now listen, there's only one chapter in the book of Obadiah, one chapter. And uh, we had to get 100 pages out of that. And, uh, but the more you get into it, you probably could get two or 300 pages out of it. And uh, the book of Amos, that's been, man, I don't know, it's been a long time ago. Uh, about 2001, somewhere around, so that's been over 20 years ago, and uh, some of the things I remember, but as I look back through this, tonight we're going to look at three, well, one of the three visions that, that uh, Amos had, and they were all visions of judgment. The first one was the judge, chapter number seven, there's three visions there, and we're going to look at the first one here in the first three verses. One was the vision of grasshopper. Somebody might say, well, what is that grasshopper? That's a locust. He got a vision of that. Then the second vision was one of a devouring fire, and, and uh, Amos interceded uh, on both of the first two, and uh, God spared those two judgments. But then he had the vision of the plumb line. Now, that is uh, those of you that's in construction and done anything like that, you know that plumb line, make sure it's true. Well, the people of God were measured up to God's Word, and they were way out of line, man. And I tell you what, there's a lot of similarities to the book of Amos uh, as we'll see here in just a minute, I'm going to give you a little bit of background. I'm going to flip uh, several chapters here just to read a few verses. I've got a simple message, but it might take me a while to get to that simple message because I want to give you a lot of Bible because I know this, my thoughts and my intelligence is not going to help you lick, but God's Word will. And uh, so that's what we want to focus on tonight. And when you think about the characteristics before we even get into this message, some of these things that I'll list that is straight from the Word of God, you parallel to 2024 as we've ushered in to this new year, and you won't see a whole lot of difference uh, in some of the things that's going on. But as we look at this, these three visions, the grasshoppers, the devouring fire, and uh, then the plumb line. This first one we're going to look at. We're going to look at three verses. Notice with me in Amos chapter number 7 and verse number 1. The Bible said, Thus hath the Lord God, thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, he formed grasshoppers in the beginning of the shooting up of the latter growth. And lo, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. And it came to pass that when they had made an end of eating the grass of the land, then I said, O Lord God, forgive I beseech thee, by whom shall Jacob arise, for he is small. The Lord repented for this. It shall not be, saith the Lord. Now let's pray. Father, as I bow God in your presence, Lord, again tonight, I thank you, Lord, for the good singing. Thank you for the good messages that were in all three of those songs. I'm glad that you still save, old sinners. Lord, I'm glad that I can still remember the day. Lord, you reach down that hand further than I can reach up. Lord, I can never thank you or praise you enough for that. Lord, it ain't about me tonight. It ain't about really anybody in this building. It's about you and your word. And God, I pray that you'd help this feeble preacher now to empty myself of the message of the hour. God, you know the need in every, every heart here tonight, those that are listening in by way of the CD, the live stream, the telephone, the Facebook live, God, wherever they may be, you know their situation. Father, I pray that you'd speak to every heart. Lord, I'm glad somebody made a difference in my life. God, help us to make a difference in others' lives. We'll be careful to give you thanks and give you praise for what you do. We ask these things in Jesus' name and all God's people see it. 
Amen. Well, tonight I'm just going to give you several uh, things, and we're going to be jumping back and forth right here in the book of Amos, just building a little bit of foundation, because this is a book that a lot, a lot of folks are not really, really familiar with. If you're in, in biblical academics, I guess you could say, Amos would be considered a minor prophet. I don't really like that. I understand, and I, and I say that sometimes. We talk about Habakkuk or Nahum or Jonah, and, and here Amos, we considered them the minor prophets, but man, they didn't have a minor message. They had a major message from the Lord. Some of those, those books are very, very small, yet they had a pointed and a direct message unto the people of God. Some prophesied unto heathen nations, just like Jonah uh, did. And we know that he did not want to go uh, down to, to Nineveh, and God gave him an attitude adjustment for three days and three nights on the inside of that whale. And it called a great fish in the book of Jonah. You wouldn't know it was a whale if you didn't have the New Testament. That's why the greatest commentary, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself. The Old Testament unlocks New Testament truth. The New Testament unlocks Old Testament truth over and over again. It's sort of like studying the book of Revelation. You hadn't got a chance of understanding the book of Revelation without the book of Daniel. You don't have a chance of understanding the book of Daniel without the book of Revelation. They too, both of those books go together and they complement one another. Think about the harmony of the Gospels. We call it the harmony of the Gospels. Well, I said you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those four. And all of them had different points of view, yet all of them were inspired writings to help God's people during that day, to help God's people during this day, and throughout the ages in the, in the canon of the 66 books of the Word of God, from Genesis 1 to Revelation chapter number 22. But when you think about Amos, the minor prophet with a major message, we think about his name. His name says a lot, and it speaks volumes. It literally means a burden bear. Now, if I could preach on a thought tonight, it'd simply be this. Somebody made a difference. Somebody made a difference. And that somebody in the text tonight is none other than this burden bearer by the name of Amos. You can go back and as you study the Word of God, also here in chapter number 7, in verse number 14, you'll find what his natural trade was. I mean, he wasn't a doctor. He wasn't a doctor of the law. Uh, he didn't go to seminary. He didn't go to the school of the prophets. No, he was just considered a, basically a layman to a certain degree, but he had God's message. The Bible said in verse number 14 of chapter 7, he said, I was an herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. So you can gather that basically he was a shepherd and he was a farmer, yet God used him in a mighty way. It, it, it'll blow your mind when you study the Word of God. And look how God didn't use the, the strong and the mighty. Oftentimes, he used the weak and the refuse, those that had, uh, had been uh, counted out, those that were too small, uh, just didn't fit in. Boy, God used people like that. He's still using people like that today, by the way. A lot of folks say, well, I'm not as smart as such. It don't matter. God can use you. Listen, God don't want me to be somebody else. He don't want you to be somebody else. He wants you to be you, and he wants to use you as you are. And God used Amos as he was from his experience as a herdman, as a shepherd, and as a, a gatherer of sycamore fruit and a farmer. He used him just a plain, simple, we would call him a country preacher. And that's what he was. But boy, he had a big message. He went up against old Amaziah, 
uh, the, the priest there uh, to Jeroboam, and they didn't really want to hear what that little country preacher had to say, but it would have paid if they had a listen because he pronounced judgment on Amaziah. I, I'm getting ahead of myself. Wasn't even going to preach on this, but man, I get excited when I think about some of the context right here and I think about the background. Oh, Amaziah basically came back with a message, told Amos that the king didn't want to hear Jeroboam the second. He didn't want to hear a word he had to say. Amaziah didn't want to hear a word he had to say, but Amos, pro, he prophesied and told Amaziah that, listen, one of these days, he said, your wife's going to turn into a prostitute here in Bethel. And it came to pass. Whether when Assyria would invade, you also see where his children would be killed. All of his land, his possessions would be taken from him. And he would be driven away down into Damascus in a place called Assyria in captivity. And that's where he would die because he would not heed and he would not listen to God's message or God's man. There's still a threat today to those that reject God's word and God's message and God's messenger. A lot of folks say, oh man, uh, the preacher preached this and it was personal. I can assure you there's never been a message that I've preached that I'm aware of that it was personal, man. I've got a message from the king of kings. I've had to deal with it before I bring it to you tonight. And listen, don't look at it and say, well, that's Brian's message because that Brian's message ain't going to help you lick. But when it's God's message, son, you better raise him spiritually is what God say over oh, there in the New Testament the seven churches that Jesus addressed he said, he said he that hath an ear let him hear while the spirit saith unto the churches so God had a message then he's got a message today but when you look at this Amos was referred to as a burden bearer man I want to be a burden bearer you ought to want to be a burden bearer as a matter of fact that's New Testament theology go to the book of Galatians we are to bear one another's burdens now there's things that I can't do. There's things that you can't do. Now, we serve a God get, that can still do the incredible. He can still do the impossible. I'm glad he's able to do that. Man, and, and we can call on him. He said, cast your care upon me, for he careth for us. And we can do that. But it's good to know, Brother Kevin, we can lean on one another from time to time. There's some things we can help one another with. We can support one another. We can encourage one another. We, we can help one another along life's journey. Man, it's a long journey. Uh, when you think about this, Christy looked at me the other day and she said, have I told you lately that I hate winter? She don't like winter. She don't like the time change. I don't really care for it either, man, when it gets dark at 5.30. But you know what? It's a long journey. But I'm glad God put some pieces around us that we can lean. I'm glad we got him. If all we had was God, that'd be enough. But boy, God God loved us enough and he showed so much mercy and grace to us that he puts people in our lives that make a difference. Amos was one of those fellows. He made a difference and somebody made a difference here in chapter number 7. And we know this according to the word of God and you'll just have to, you can go back and look. It don't take long to read the nine chapters of the book of Amos to see some of these truths. But Amos prophesied during the lengthy reigns of Uzziah to the south in Jerusalem, and also Jeroboam to the north in Samaria. Now, that was the capital to the north. And although he prophesied to the whole uh, 12 tribes of Israel, according to chapter number 3 and verse number 1, he primarily focused on the tribe to the north. When you look at these two kings, Uzziah reigned for 52 years and was a mighty warrior 
and a builder until he intruded into the office of priesthood. Remember that? Those men tried to withstand him. He said, man, I'm the king, got too big for his britches, went in. He said, man, I'm going to do the priestly duties. And God struck him down with leprosy. But overall, he was a pretty good king because you think about Isaiah chapter number 6, in the year that King Uzziah died. He saw the king, he was in the temple, and he saw the king. Listen, the king of, of Judah was dead, but old Isaiah saw the king of kings, and that's where he touched his lips, and, and he needed a cleansing. Boy, that's what you and I need to see, man. You don't just need to see, uh, you just don't need to see the king down here. We need to see the king of kings, him high and lifted up. But Uzziah was pretty much a good king, but he reigned for 52 years. Jeroboam II reigned for 41 years to the north. And you think about this, that's longer. Jeroboam II reigned longer than any other king to the north. Now, we're talking about the divided kingdom now here. After David and after Solomon, it was united there, but then it was divided. And there's one to the north and one to the south. And during that time, nobody reigned longer to the north than Jeroboam II. He reclaimed much of Israel's lost territory. Many that had come in with captivity and different things, Jeroboam got it back during his reign. So basically we could say this. Now keep in mind, Amos is prophesying during these days. Uzziah reigns for 52 years to the south. Jeroboam II reigns for 41 years to the north. It was a time of stability. I mean, there wasn't a king every other year. Are you with me right there? He was prophesying during years of stability and strength because Jeroboam, under his leadership, regained a lot of the lost territory all the way back to the Transjordan that they had lost during the years to foreign nations. He brought that back so there was stability, there was strength, certainly, and you think about this, there was security, but there was also prosperity. And I've often said when you look at the last church that is mentioned, that Jesus addressed, and some like to parallel the times to the Laodicean church age and to the time in which we're living. But actually, you can apply all that truth to the age in which we're living from Ephesus all the way to Laodicea and all the five churches in between those that Jesus addressed. But that is the church uh, that basically needs nothing because this was their statement. They said, we're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And Jesus said, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. They had great prosperity. And they began to rely on that prosperity, and they forgot about God. And I tell you, I believe probably America's greatest sin is that most of us don't even know what real needs are anymore. I mean, really. You think about it, we're, we're rich on the world scale. You think about Africa. You think about India, you think about some of those places over there back in the jungles. I mean, people don't have anything, and, and a lot of folks have to rely on God. And you know what now, man? We got microwaves. Whoever dreamed we'd had a microwave? And uh, we got running water. We got some of you. Now, I didn't grow up in that. Some of y'all may have grew up, got some years on you. Uh, that when they didn't have, you know, the, the indoor plumbing, you know, where you had to go up to the outhouse. I had an aunt. Uh, that lived right across from Paul, Paul, and Granny. Aunt Jewel, I remember that. She never had an indoor uh, bathroom. They had an old outhouse out there at the back. Man, I thought that was the coolest thing when I was a kid. Uh, but I was always afraid it was going to fall in there, man. So I tried to stay away from that uh, to the best of my ability. But think about it. 
Nowadays, all right, we get sick. Man, I'm going to the doctor. And it's good. I'm glad. Listen, we're we're blessed to live where we are. I mean, we got good health care right here where we are. Although I get it, it's expensive, man. I'm with you. I, I understand. But you go out west, man, you might have to drive four or five hours to have good, I mean, a good doctor that can help you. But we've got so much, and we've been blessed so much, then instead of the first thing we do, we pray to God, oh, I got an ailment, I better call my doctor. And listen, I'm not minimizing calling the doctor. Sometimes you got to. But some of our biggest battles will be won on our knees. Amen, not on our telephone. <laughs> That's right. Some of God's choice servants in the Word of God, you know where those battles were won? They were won in the trenches of prayer. I think about John. He is labeled by many historians. They call him old camel knees because he spent so much time on his knees. John the Revelator, the one that was exiled to the Isle of Patmos, that Roman penal colony, not being a murderer, not being a criminal, but simply preaching the gospel. And there he got in tune with God. He was isolated, and God still spoke to him. I'm glad God will still speak to us as well. But you think about this. It was a time of security. It was a time of strength. It was a time of stability and security and prosperity. It's described in the book of Amos as this. And you can flip with me or you can just jot it down. I encourage you to go back and look at this. But at this time that Amos was prophesying is could be defined and described as a time of luxury. Now, you remember what I said when I started this message. Notice how these parallels parallel up to our day, 2024. When Amos prophesied... It was described as a time of luxury. How do we know? Well, in Amos chapter 3 and verse 10, this is what God said. For they know not to do right, saith the Lord, who store up violence and robbery in their palaces. So, I mean, they've got palaces. Verse 11 of chapter 3. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, an adversary there shall be even round about the land, and he shall bring down thy strength from thee, and thy palaces shall be spoiled. Now, he's talking about palaces in verse 10 and 11, and he talks about that strength. That's the prosperity. That's the luxury that they had during these days. And God said, it's going to be taken away from you. And he describes it further. Look at verse 12, the, the imagery. Thus saith the Lord, As the shepherd taketh out of the mouth of the lion two legs, or a piece of an ear, so shall the children of Israel be taken out that dwell in Samaria, in the corner of a bed, and in Damascus, in a couch. Now, Damascus would have been down uh, in Assyria. So we see this, and he talks about Samaria. He's talking about that crowd to the north where Jeroboam uh, is the king, Jeroboam II. Amaziah is that puppet priest that's at the right hand uh, of, of Jeroboam II. And he makes this prophecy... And he says, you know, Israel's going to be like a, like a shepherd that goes out and takes two legs out of the mouth of a lion. You know what that means? That's all that's left. A piece of an ear. But it was too late. All he had was a leg and all he had was an ear. But the sheep was dead. You think about this. Look at verse 13 
uh, chapter 3. Hear ye and testify in the house of Jacob, saith the Lord God, the God of hosts, that in the day that I shall visit the transgressors of Israel, upon him I will also visit the altars of Bethel, and the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. I don't have time to preach that, but the horns of the altar was a place where people could run. You remember the cities of refuge that God had? I believe there were six of them. And they, they would run, and they could, if they committed a crime, they could run to one of those cities of refuge, and they could run into, and they could grab a hold of the horns of the altar, and they were given amnesty, if you will. They sought protection. God said, I'm going to cut the horns of the altar off. What's that mean? He's going to remove his protective hand. Now, that's what God said. And he's going to do it at Bethel. Again, that's the place where they worship up there to the north. Look at verse 15. And I will smite the winter house with the summer house, and the house of ivory shall perish, and the great houses shall have an end, saith the Lord. He talks about the winter houses and the summer houses. How in the world was that possible? Because they had strength. They had stability. They had security. They had prosperity. They had their winter house. They had their summer house, yet they forgot God. And this time that Amos was prophesying, it was a time of luxury, but we ain't done. It was also a time of religious activity. There's a lot of religious activity going on during these days. Now, parallel where we are, a time of luxury and a time of religious activity. Look at chapter 4 and verse number 4. He said, come to Bethel. Now, Bethel was a place where they would come and worship. Come to Bethel and transgress. At Gilgal, multiply transgression. And bring your sacrifices every morning and your tithes after three years. And offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven. And proclaim and publish the free offerings. For this liketh you, O ye children of Israel, saith the Lord God. Now God is being sarcastic. He said, come on down to Bethel. Come on down to Gilgal. Go ahead and bring me your tithes. Bring me your offerings. And basically what they were doing, they were coming in and there's a lot of religious activity going on. Hey, they were close to the altar, but they were far away from God. Yeah, man, does that make sense? <laughs> oh, there's close to the altar. There's a lot of religious activity going on, but God wasn't at the center of it. He's there for a social gathering, for a social meeting, and to be seen and to be seen by others and to see others. That's what was going on. So it was a time of luxury, time of religious activity. Flip over to chapter 5. It's time of enthusiastic celebration. Man, the new moons and the festivals and the feasts, Brother Wayne, man, they were excited to go do that stuff. How do we know? Look in chapter number 5 and verse 21. The Bible said, this is what God said, I hate, now this is God speaking through the mouthpiece of Amos, I hate, I despise your feast days, and I will not smell in your solemn assemblies, Though ye offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them, neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beast. Take thou away from me the noise of thy songs, for I will not hear the melody of thy vows. He talks about uh, these solemn assemblies. He talks about these burnt offerings and, and different things. It was a time of enthusiastic uh, basically celebration of all this stuff going on. They were singing. But you know what God required? Look at verse 24. He said, but let judgment run down as waters and righteousness as a mighty stream. What's he talking about? As a mighty stream. A mighty stream and waters is always flowing. Man, we could see some of that yesterday. Man, I come across down there at Enon about 3.30 this afternoon. It was still out. 
There's a lot of water out there, those streams, and they were moving. You know what God wants from us? I mean, listen, he don't want a form of godliness in denying the power thereof, like it said in 2 Timothy chapter number 3 and verse number 5. Yeah, he wants us to be excited. He wants us to be enthusiastic about the house of God and about worship, but this crowd wouldn't. Amen. They were enthusiastic, but God was not in the midst. God said, I hate that stuff. I hate, I despise your feast days and will not smell in your solemn assembly. Talks about those burnt offerings. They were coming. It's sort of like this. And I've, I've made this statement numerous times if I can say it right. It's important to do something for God. Can I get a witness right there? It's important to worship the Lord. It's important to come to church. It's important to read your Bible. It's important to pray. But what is your motivation behind doing that? That is also important. We shouldn't do it just to be seen. We should do it to honor and please the Lord and confess, man, that we need you, Lord. So it was a time of luxury. It's a time of religious activity, a time of enthusiastic celebration. Listen to this. It was a time when making money was more important than worship. Now stay with me. This ain't my ideas. This is what God said. It was a time when Amos was prophesying when making money was more important than worship. Look in chapter number 8 and verse number 4. And the means by way they were getting it to, they were getting it by deceit. They were getting it by trickery. They were getting it by cheating. And in Amos chapter 8 and verse 4. Hear this, O ye that swallow up the needy. Even to make the poor of the land to fail. It's sort of like this cycle that continually repeats itself over and over again. The rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And you see that all the way through even in Bible days, even till now. Well, notice here, he goes on to say in verse 5, saying, When will the new moon be gone that we may sell corn? That was a religious day. They're saying, man, I mean, they're going up and they're going to these celebrations, they're going to these feasts, it's a new moon deal, and they're getting ready to worship God. But they're not thinking about God, they're thinking about the opportunity where they go sell and make money. It was a time when, when Amos prophesied when people were more concerned about making money than they were worshiping the Creator and the Sustainer and the Redeemer of the universe. He goes on to say this. That we may sell corn. And the Sabbath, that was the day when they were to meet together to worship. And the Sabbath, that we may set forth wheat, making the ephah small and the shekel great, and falsifying the balances by deceit. The new moons, man, Brother John, they couldn't wait. They wouldn't there to worship God. The what's on their mind, they're wanting to make money. They want to go out and get corn. When the Sabbath day comes, they should have been worshiping God. They're thinking, man, when can we get out of here so we can falsify and we can sell somebody, we can cheat them through deceit, and we can get more money in our pocket. That's the time when Amos is prophesying. Amen. Time of luxury, time of religious activity, time of enthusiastic celebration, time when making money was more important than worship. But it was a time when rich folks were exploiting the poor and justice was corrupt. Now just parallel those five things to where we are today. Somebody has well said, the more things change, the more they stay the same. But Amos was prophesying during a time of the rich, exploiting the poor, and justice was corrupt. How do you know that? Well, in chapter number 5, 
And uh, chapter number 5, and verse, I just read that a minute ago. I read the wrong text, but in verse 12, it said, For I know your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins. They afflict the just, they take a bribe, and they turn aside the poor and the gate from their right. Therefore the prudent shall keep silence in that time, for it is an evil time. I didn't read that. Look at verse 14. Seek good and not evil, that ye may live, and so the Lord... Uh, the God of hosts shall be with you as ye have spoken. Hate the evil and love the good and establish judgment in the gate. Remember at the gate of the cities where the elders would sit, that's where judgment was made. But here, according to verse number 12, they're taking bribes. They're exploiting the poor and justice is corrupt. Man, I'm telling you now, it, it is some of the most wicked corrupt stuff going on in our land that and a lot of it, it, it it's a lot of it's political it's sort of like this our laws have been to the dentist and they've had their teeth pulled our policemen our our law enforcement can go out and they can arrest these crooks and these criminals and then some panty wearing judge or what have you up there that that owes a favor to one of the defense attorneys man they let them off and it goes over and over again. Somebody said, well, preacher, you're a Christian and you're a Bible believer. Do you believe in the death penalty? No, I don't believe in the... Or do you believe in the death chair? I don't believe in the death chair. I believe in the death couch. Couch. God's the one that instituted the death penalty. A lot of folks say, man, I, I can't believe that. If another man sheds another man's blood, his blood is required. Now, a lot of folks say, well, wait a minute. All these shootings going on, they can blame guns all they want to. But it goes back to this corrupt justice, the judgment that goes on. I mean, you just keep smacking these people on the hand and showing it all over the media. Nothing's going to get done. Now, I'm all for Rock of Ages prison ministry. I believe we ought to preach to them one in the prison. But man, some of this stuff, if somebody's killed somebody, and this is not my, really my, this is what God has said. If another man sheds another man's blood, his blood is required. That God instituted the death penalty. And he used law enforcement to carry it out. We're subject unto those authorities. Read Romans 13. It's crystal clear. We're subject unto this. They don't bear the sword in vain. I mean, you resist arrest, you, you got a good chance of getting shot. Right, Amen. But it goes back to no respect of authority. No respect for teachers. Yeah, man, man, if I'd done something in school, I got in trouble at school, I got in trouble at the house, son. No respect of authority with police officers and, and, and go, even employers and, and your, whoever you supervise. I mean, a lot of folks, there's, no, there's none whatsoever. But it's supposed to be that way according to the Word of God. Now, we sort of went off on a tangent right there, but justice was corrupt. Think about all these things and how they apply to our day. Man, I, I, this introduction has took me a whole lot longer than I thought it was going to. But just think for a moment. I want to go back through because I want you to get this. We learn by repetition. But you think about what Amos was dealing with. It's a time described as a time of luxury, according to the Word of God. Time of religious activity, time of enthusiastic celebration, time when making money was more important than worship, a time of rich exploiting the poor, and justice was corrupt. Now, in pops, Brother Kevin, an old herdman, probably still smells like a sheep, might even still have some sycamore fruit stains on his hand. There's an interesting study on the sycamore fruit. They say they go out and they grow best down in the valley. 
They say you can stretch that fruit, and they have to stretch that fruit early on. And once it does, it, it makes it, I don't know how it happens, but it makes the fruit sweeter. But here is a man that pops on the scene, a country preacher we'll call him. His name literally means a burden bearer. He's facing a king to the north that's reigning 41 years. A king to the south reigning 52 years is a time of strength, stability. is a time of prosperity. Yet God still had a message. There's three things I want you to see right here in chapter 7. I'll be as quick as I possibly can. Notice this now. In chapter number 7 and verse number 1, I want you to notice the method of judgment. Because of these things that were going on and they had forsaken God, God had a method of judgment. Now, God does not work like you and I do. And I want you to notice what it says. The Bible said in verse 1, Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me. So here is Amos getting the first of these three visions here in chapter number 7. The first being these grasshoppers, which were locusts. The second being the devouring uh, fire. And the third being that plumb line. All these were instruments of judgment. And the method of judgment, he showed unto me, and behold, he formed grasshoppers. Now watch this. In the beginning of the shooting up of the latter growth, and lo, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. And it came to pass that when they had made an end of eating the grass of the land. And I'll just stop right there. The method of judgment was this. God formed these grasshoppers, which are literally locusts. They would come in, and they would devour the land, but there's several things, couple things we can say about this method of judgment that God was using. God allowed Amos to see the judgment that God was going to bring upon the land. Now, this latter growth after the king's mowings, what does that pertain to, preacher? It pertains to a tribute. Now, when I'm talking about a tribute, I'm talking about a tax. The king would get the first mowing. It belonged unto the king. Israel annually had two mowings of grass. That's what that is. That grass would be hay. The first was paid to the king as a tribute or as a tax. The second was kept by the people to sustain them throughout the year. You think about this. This given that that first cutting under the king it was sort of like the old, the old Testament IRS, man. Internal Revenue Service. It had popped up. As a, as a matter of fact, there was 12 of them. There was 12 agents in the nation of Israel. And I'll prove that to you in the Word of God here in just a minute. There was 12 of them that would make sure that the king got that first cut again. He got his victuals so it could sustain him throughout the year. 12 men for each month of the year. But think about this tribute. Uh, I, I think about this. Israel had these two mowings, and again, the first would have been given to the king. The second would have been given to Israel to sustain them throughout the rest of the year. And it says that the latter was eaten up. Now, you look at verse number 2. The Bible said, and it came to pass that when they had made an end of eating the grass of the land. Which one was that? It was the latter growth, according to chapter number 1. It was the second cutting. The king had already got his part. This was the part that was supposed to sustain the people of Israel. And you think about this. How do we know there's 12 men that overlook this matter? Well, in Solomon's day, in 1 Kings chapter 4, and verse number 7, Solomon is reigning now. The Bible said, 1 Kings 4, 7, And Solomon had 12 officers over all Israel, 
which provided victuals for the king and his household, each man his month and a year made provision. Those 12 officers made sure, these, these are the Old Testament IRS agents, man. They're going to go out and they're going to make sure that first cutting is, is there and they're going to make sure the king's got enough to be sustained and his household. So we see the tribute. The Bible said the latter growth, that's important, the second cutting. This belonged to the people. That's what the grasshoppers, these locusts, are devouring. Now notice the timing. Not only the tribute, but notice the timing of it. The Bible said in verse 1, in the beginning of the shooting up of the latter growth. Now that latter growth is that second mowing. The first king's already got his part. This belongs unto the people. The people are supposed to get this. But these, these grasshoppers are sent in the beginning of the shooting up of the latter growth. Now an earlier infestation might have given them time for some to regrow. If the locusts had come a little bit later, they might have been able to salvage some of it, Brother Randy. But God sent it in the beginning of the shooting up. At the most devastating time, that's when God was going to send that judgment. And that was the method of judgment that God was going to use. Now, it's a vision that Amos got. But I want you to notice the second thing in verse number 2. We see the method of judgment, these grasshoppers are going to come, this, this latter growth, this belonged unto the people. And in the beginning of the shooting up, when it wouldn't have time to recover, and they weren't going to have anything, it was going to be gone. God was going to devastate them with the method of judgment with the grasshoppers. But we see the modification of Jacob. Look with me in verse 2. And it came to pass that when they had made an end of eating up the grass of the land, then I said, O Lord God, forgive, I beseech thee, by whom shall Jacob arise, for he is small. What is the modification of Jacob? I mean, this judgment is sure. I mean, it's coming. But somebody stood in the gap. It was modified. The modification of Jacob. Who was doing the modifying? It was none other than Amos. Remember his name? The burden bearer. What's he doing? I mean, is he going out and getting an army? No. He's getting on his knees, son. Oh, Lord God. I beseech you. You know what beseech me? He's begging God. You know what the church is missing today? Oh, we talk about our little prayer, our little five-minute prayer, our little 30-second prayer. I'm talking about God's people getting on their knees again and getting serious with God. You want to see a big revival? Hey, I still believe there's still hope as long as the church is here, honey. The Holy Spirit is here, and I'm glad God can still move in an adulterated generation like we're living in a luxurious group that's more concerned about making money than worshiping God. But I tell you, it's high. It's past time for God's people to get on their knees. We come in sometimes in the house of God. Well, God, I've done you a favor. I'll come to church. God, I get up in the morning. I'll give you a 30-second prayer. I'll give you a minute prayer. I'm going to work. Then come home right before you go to bed. If you even read your Bible or if you even pray, you spend just a few minutes in prayer. No tears in your eyes. No fervency. No direction. I tell you what you and I need. We need what Amos has to be a burden bearer, to get on our knees and get serious about the things of God. People going to hell all around us. Our country is in a, in a terrible shape. Listen, I love America. I don't want to go anywhere else. But man, sin has crippled and corrupted our land. And it's almost like God's people don't care. <laughs> you say, well, now, wait a minute, preach. You preach to the Wednesday night crowd. I'm just saying, man, you and I, We've got to get on our knees and get back and understand we can modify 
some of the judgments that have come and will come. You say, how can you prove that? Just look at the Word of God. Amen. The method of judgment was these grasshoppers were coming, but it was modified by, of Jacob by a man named Amos, whose, whose name literally means a burden bearer. Notice his request. He said, O Lord God, forgive, I beseech thee. And you know what Amos did? He joined a unique group of intercessors that are found in the Word of God. Now, I understand we've got an intercessor with the Lord Jesus. That's a different message. But in the Word of God, you think about Abraham. Genesis chapter number 18. Remember when Lot was getting ready, or, or Sodom was getting ready to be destroyed? But Abraham had enough love for Lot that he prayed. And he said, God, you know, if you can find 50, would you spare Sodom? God said, I'll spare it for 50. Then Abraham said, well, God, if, if there's 45, would you spare it? Yep. What if there's 30? Yep. What if there's 20? He kept going down and down and down. What if there's 10? God said, yeah, I'll spare it. Well, what did God do? He, he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. That lets you know there was less than 10. That were righteous. But you know what's worse than that? I preached a message once that the place worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. Brother Randy probably remembers that. Over there in Jeremiah's day, where it said, I sought for a run through the streets of Judah, God's land, and looked for a man. One man! <laughs> now, I'll not destroy it. What'd God do? God destroyed it because he couldn't find one righteous man in all the land of Judah. You think about intercessory work. Abraham was one of them. What about Moses in Exodus 32? When he's up on the Mount of God there at Mount Sinai, and he's, he's breaking for He's getting a message from God. He's got the tablets of stone, and God begins to break in and said, Moses, get back. I'm paraphrasing. He said, get you hind him back down there. He said, man, uh, because when they saw that Moses delayed coming down from off the mountain, they took those earrings that they brought out of, out of Israel, I mean out of Egypt, and they took all those out of their ears, and they put that thing, threw it into the fire, and they molted a golden calf and was worshiping that golden calf and giving that golden calf credit brother Kevin for leading them out of the land of Egypt what a smack in the face of God and Moses come down and see what Moses do I tell you what he did he didn't say well man we're going to get an army I'm going to get a sword I'm going to get a spear no he got down on his knees and he interceded on behalf of the people that's what Abraham did that's what Moses did go to 1 Samuel chapter number 12 that's what Samuel did on behalf of the people when the people begged for a king and God gave them a king they said well we have seen and old Samuel he prayed unto God and he intercede on behalf of Saul numerous times as well go on through the word of God and you'll see different ones I think about Paul over there in Romans chapter number 10 and verse number 1 he said my prayer uh, to God is for Israel that it might be saved people interceding on behalf Amos joined that crowd of intercessors because he was a burden bearer God said this is what I'm going to do I'm going to destroy this place Amos said, oh, Lord God, I beseech you. I, I beg you, Lord. That was the request. <laughs> see, the title of this message is somebody made a difference. Amos made a difference. Because you're going to see here in just a minute, it shall not be. It turned God's heart. Amen. Somebody said, well, I can't. I, well, can't never could do anything. I can do all things through Christ which strengthen me, though, according to Philippians chapter number 4 and verse number 13. There was a request, but notice not only the request, notice the reason. Why did, he, why did he have a request? There was a reason. The Bible said there in verse 2, by whom shall Jacob arise? Now, that Jacob is like a blanket thrown, and it's, it's used interchangeably in the Word of God to describe Israel, the nation of Israel. He said, by whom shall Jacob arise? For he is small. What he's saying is, Amos is saying, Israel will not survive God. 
The king's already got his first cuttings. And you've sent these locusts at the time of the shooting forth where there's no chance of recovery. It can't grow back. They can't harvest it. It's going to be consumed. Oh, God, please, I'm begging you, don't do that. Jacob is too small. He cannot survive. Well, you go on down. I think about this, and it still holds true in the book of Ezekiel. Very complex book. You know this text well in Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 30. God said, and I sought for a man among them that there should that they should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. God said, I looked for somebody to stand in the gap, but I couldn't find anybody. So it goes along with the same principle I mentioned just a moment ago in Jeremiah's day. He said, run, through the, run to and fro streets of Jerusalem and just find one righteous man. Couldn't find one. Nobody was willing to make a difference, but Amos was. Because in this text, because get this, here we are, we're done, right here. The method of judgment was the grasshoppers, these locusts. The modification of Jacob was because somebody, a little country preacher, that was a herdman, according to chapter 7 and verse 14, was a gatherer of sycamore fruit. He had never been to seminary, never been to the school of the prophets that I can ever find, but he had a touch of God on his life. He had enough sensitivity to the will of God God showed him this thing and said, God, and he said, I'm going to destroy this in that vision. But the modification of Jacob was made by a man that made a difference because he was a burden bearer. That gets us to a third and final point. You see the mercy of Jehovah. You got the method of judgment, you got the modification of Jacob, and you got the mercy of Jehovah. All right, God said, uh, he, he allows Amos to see that vision. In the beginning of the shooting up of that grass, it's going to be destroyed, no chance of survival. But it's modified when Amos begs, Oh, Lord God, I beseech thee. Jacob can't survive. He's too small. You'll find the mercy of Jehovah God. Look at verse number 3. The Lord repented for this. What's this? Sending those grass. You see, God allowed Amos to get a glimpse of what was coming. But Amos made a difference, and he begged God, God, please don't do that. And the Bible said the Lord repented for this. It shall not be, saith the Lord. Now, wait a minute. This was a crowd that was, remember the times they were living in? Sister Savannah, you come on. It was a, please, it was a time of luxury. It was a time where they were enthusiastic about their celebrations, man. It was a time when they were more interested in, about making money than worshiping the God of heaven. It was a time when they were exploiting the poor and, and justice was corrupt. All this was going on. You say, man, they deserved that judgment. Well, friend, I hate to tell you, you and I deserve some judgment too. But we ought to thank God for the mercy that God gave to us. He didn't give them what they deserved. How many times has a hammer, think about this as a hammer of God's justice. Y'all, y'all see this? This is a hammer of God's justice. And it's getting ready to fall on me because of some thought, because of some sin in my life. Yet God in his mercy don't give me what I deserve. <laughs> How many times all of us would be dead at this point if it wasn't for the mercy of God. And we would have deserved it. But I'm convinced of this. There's some people that have made a difference. That have stood in the gap. That have made up the hedge. 
There's little ones that come in here on the bus, and there's some that ain't even got here yet, but we're praying for them before they ever get in here. They need Jesus. We don't want to see them die lost and done without God. We've got some older people in this community that's hung up in religion. They're hung up on good good works and good deeds and good efforts and free. They ain't going to get there, but we're praying for that crowd. Oh, yeah, we want to make it hard for people to die lost right here here in East Bend, North Carolina. That, that drive has not been taken away from me since the time. God called me down here to Faith Community Baptist Church we got to see some people say But I'm telling you, we can turn the tide when God's people make up the hedge. God's mercy is abounding. Do you know, somebody made a difference in the life of God's people. The burden bearer by the name of Amos. That's what his name means. He begged God. What do you need to beg God about tonight? You say, how long has it been? Since you really was, I'm talking about fervent. Fervent. God, I need you in this situation. God, turn this situation around. I'm telling you, he can do it. Tonight as we stand all over the house, let's pray. Father, I love you. Lord, it's been a privilege just to preach, Lord, on your word tonight, the book of Amos. and We look at that, how it parallels to where we live today. The luxury and all the other things going on. Father, I pray that not only in this church, but in our churches in our area, our churches in the world, Lord, that they would drop the spirit of apathy, the I don't cares. God, help us to get a fresh burden. Help us, God, to get a fresh glimpse that we can make a difference. Help us to be that burden bearer as Amos was, a simple man, a herdman, a gatherer of sycamore fruit. God, help us to make a difference. In this wicked, corrupt, ungodly world. Thank you for the most mercy you bestowed upon me. God, help us to do the same to others. Many around about us right here in our area. There's little ones in the back that need Jesus. There's older ones. There's middle-aged folk that need Jesus. God, I beg you. In Jesus' name, we know it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. May God change lives as only you can. We'll thank you. And we'll praise you for what you do if we ask these things in Jesus' name. Hello, friends. This is Brian Poindexter, the pastor of Faith Community Baptist Church, located at 2216 Hennings Road in East Bend, North Carolina. We're so grateful to have you listening to our CD ministry that's been provided as an outreach of our church. It's our desire and focus at Faith Community Baptist Church to preach and teach the whole counsel of God to a lost and dying world to equip the saints of God for service, and to encourage the elderly and shut-ins who cannot attend services due to physical ailments. We meet every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Sunday school for all ages, and our Sunday school hour is followed by our worship service at 11 a.m. with old-fashioned singing and preaching from the Word of God. We meet back every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our worship service, and every second Sunday night of each month we have what's called an eat-and-meet service, After our 6 p.m. service, we gather in the Fellowship Hall for food and fellowship. On Wednesdays, we meet back at the church for our midweek worship service with choir singing and preaching again from God's Holy Word. Our ladies prepare a meal each Wednesday prior to our service from 5.30 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. I give you and your family a cordial invitation to be with us at any or all of our service times. Above all, you may be listening today, and maybe you've never made a personal commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, that's the greatest decision anyone can ever make in this life. 
Too many folks prepare for vacation. They prepare for retirement. They seem to prepare for everything, but sad to say, many make no preparations for eternity. The reality is very clear. We all will leave this world someday. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. You must understand that you are guilty before a holy God. Romans 3.23 said, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The prophet Isaiah said in chapter 53 and verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. You must understand that your good words, and good works and good deeds will not get you to heaven. Isaiah 64 and verse 6 says, But we are all as an unclean thing. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible said, Therefore by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. You must understand that you are loved. I'm thankful that in John 3 and verse 16, it said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5 and verse 8 declares, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You must understand and realize there's only one way to stand right before God. There's not many ways, there's only one. Jesus said in John 14 and verse number 6, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, the apostles' message was very simple. There in Acts chapter 4, in verse number 12, they said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. You might ask the question, Preacher, how can I be saved? That's what the Philippian jailer asked in Acts chapter 16, verse 30 and 31. He asked Paul and Silas, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Romans 10, 9 said that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You must ask God to save you. I can't do it. No one can do it for you. Romans 10, 13 said, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you know you're a sinner, and if you're sorry for your sin, and you believe Jesus died for your sins, you simply have to ask him to save you. And I say, Preacher, how can I know for sure God will hear me? But first of all, the Bible tells us that we must be drawn. John 6 and verse 44, Jesus said, No man can come to me except the Father which had sent me. Draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Psalm 51 and verse 17 gives us the attitude we need to have when we come to God. It said there, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. If God draws you by conviction, if you're sorry for your sin, you repent of them, if you believe Jesus died for your sins, and if you asked him to save you, then the Bible declares you've been saved. If you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you've been forgiven of all your sin. Romans 8, 1 declares, There is therefore now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Once a person has been saved, they need to be a part of a fundamental Bible-believing church where they can grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. God calls us out of darkness and commands us to walk in light after we've been saved by His marvelous grace. If we can help you here at Faith Community Baptist Church in any way, feel free to contact us.
If you have asked God to save you, please contact us, and we will send you some free literature to help you in your newfound life in Christ. Thank you again for listening to our CD ministry that's been provided by our church here, and may God richly bless you and your family is our prayer.